The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. The kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast, where we explore how to center our lives and our leadership in the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. In the midst of the disruptive cultural shockwaves of the 21st century. Join us as we learn to take the love of God seriously as the force that holds all of us and everything together. Hey, Christy Penley. Good morning. Good morning. Ben Sternkey. Hello. Ben likes to Hello. uh Ben likes to to talk a lot um in general. But then he'll mm-hmm. also just talk yeah. a lot about how he doesn't get sick very often. But today mm-hmm. Ben is sick. It is true. I don't get sick very often, but I, I had this cold uh kind of hit me uh out of the blue. And yeah, don't feel very good. So Aww. Wasn't well, even sure if I'd be able to do the intro, but here I am. He <coughs> with probably my voice. has the cold because I've had a cold the last four days and we've driven in cars together to and from our retreat. Ooh, yeah. tell us about uh, the retreat. How was it? Well, I just want to own that I, I probably had nothing to do with his cold. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Pure coincidence. The retreat was great, Christy. You know, we it's got incredible. together to uh, grieve some things that needed to be grieved and to celebrate things that needed to be celebrated. And there's always, there was in the back of my mind this. Uh, fear or concern that, you know, grief, um, you can't manufacture like mourning. You know, you can't, sometimes you can't schedule it or you can't plan it. It it sort of is a wild beast, you know, and it it operates in its own time and its own ways. And so, you know, how to create enough structure for people to show up and be present and to uh, allow grief if it decides to show and you know people grieved i think and then people rejoiced and it was beautiful yeah that's so good yeah i was i was really um i was a little nervous too just about um that we haven't led anything like this and Mm -mm. you know uh because it really is i mean there's very little (laughs) we did very little teaching so when we say it was amazing it wasn't like oh man the teaching about grief was awesome it was it was very very minimal and most of the time was spent people sharing just like, what does this bring online for you? And so I was really, um, it's, it's really highly dependent on the vulnerability and the courage of the participants. And yeah. we had 11 uh, extremely courageous participants uh, mm-hmm. in this retreat. It was, it was incredible um, yeah. to have a space where like nobody's, you don't have, like nobody's trying to fix it. Nobody's trying to make it better. 
Um, nobody's giving you advice. Nobody's trying to give you answers. Like we all just can own it. And, and then somebody else can share and we can kind of bear witness to one another's uh, grief, which uh, seems to me to be a huge need, a huge need. We've already talked about, we maybe need to do this every year. So it was, it was great. Yeah. 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 I'm glad. It was sweet. Um, and now we get to turn our attentions to uh, E.K. Strasser's book. We interviewed her a few weeks ago. Um, Centering Discipleship, A Pathway for Multiplying Spectators into Mature Disciples. Um, yeah. Ben, were you on this interview with her? I don't think so. I think that you did this one solo. I was, I can't remember where I was or why yeah. I couldn't participate. I think I was maybe driving back from... Austin, Texas with my daughter or something. I can't remember. Yeah. This is great. Uh, EK is a doctor and a bivocational pastor and a ministers in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. And if you were looking, sometimes, sometimes discipleship is, you know, everything's organic and everything is, you know, you kind of feel it out as you go. And then the, on the other end is like, you know, you can engineer disciples. I feel like this book is mm-hmm. a really, really good uh, meeting place in the middle between those. So she's got lots of tools and processes um, processes and things like that, but also leaves room for stuff like, you know, the Holy Spirit and uh, the things that happen in relationships that you can't orchestrate or engineer. So it was, it was a great, great conversation. It's a great book. And, um, you know, she ministers in Hawaii and a few weeks back, we maybe put a, a, a something in our, our, our email links about the ongoing work that she's involved in with uh, the recovery from the Maui wildfires. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Her church is basically has, has committed to be, uh, to being part of the long-term rebuilding and recovery efforts. And she, she was just saying like, it's absolutely devastating. It's no longer in the news cycle, but she said, this is going to be years, probably decades. Um, and their church is, uh, committed to being part of that and actually have a way that you can, um, give to their efforts for recovery. So, uh, we put that in the links a few weeks ago, but we'll put it in the show notes, uh, a link to, if you, you know, uh, as you listen, you want to uh, support their efforts at helping Hawaii to recover. Um, you can give to their church. Yeah. All right. All right. Anything else, Christy? You have any other no. tips, quips, no. cones? I don't think so. All right. Hope everybody had a good Labor Day yesterday. Yeah. Labor Day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right. Maybe there, there, at some point there's a Labor Day rant that I've got could- stored up. Yeah. At some point. Yeah. <laughs> maybe not maybe not today. Maybe uh, next today year. would be an appropriate day for it, but um you do have to go have breakfast with your son. I I've do. heard you He's, have an appointment. I have an yes. appointment. I was I was working all weekend. Um and so I <laughs> promised uh cleared my schedule today except for this little podcast interview mm-hmm. uh intro. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna take him out to breakfast. We're gonna figure out where we're going. So oh, anyway. Have fun. Thanks. It'll be sweet. He's fifteen yeah. and uh you know, fifteen is hard. In fifteen, yeah, yeah, it's not it's not the easiest age. So, no. Well, anyway, right. listeners, enjoy the interview, and we'll see you next week. Hey, giddy up! All right, here we go.
The Reverend Dr. Yoon K. Strausser joins us today on the Gravity Leadership Podcast. She's the co-vocational lead pastor of Makeolo, which means presence in Hawaiian, a group of non-denominational missional communities multiplying in Honolulu. She's a community physician at Keolapono and an executive leader at, at the V3 Movement, the church planning arm of the BGAV, which is Baptist General Association of Virginia. And she and her husband have three kiddos and live there in Hawaii. Yoon, welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Thanks so much, Matt, for having me. Yeah, it's good. We have a mutual friend, Gino Kirkarudo, who introduced Gino. us. Yeah, he's, he's the wonderful. best. <laughs> he is wonderful. And Yoon, you recently uh, wrote a book called Centering Discipleship, A Pathway for Multiplying Spectators into Mature Disciples. Let's start out with this. How did discipleship come to be central in your life? Yeah, what a loaded question, because I would think that anybody who is in any scope of a leadership in the church, that's the question we all should be asking ourselves. Uh, uh, how does discipleship uh, become something that uh, becomes a part of our, our, our lives? Uh, for me, I feel like my journey in it has been, I've always been asking clarifying questions around discipleship and um, trying to uh, track it to how do we know that it's actually working, right? All of us know if we have been in, in church or for a long time or even for a little bit, discipleship is one of those words that we just like throw out all the time. It's kind of like in Hawaii, we have this term called dekine, which just means like a filler word. I think discipleship has become like a filler word uh, for when we don't really know what to say. And we are like, oh, we have to disciple our way into this or like that'll require discipleship or I've been discipled. But I just feel like as my own um, my own personal discipleship journey of imitating Jesus has been ongoing, that that clarifying piece has become really, really important um, in my own life. In the context of if we are um, saying that discipleship is happening in our churches and in our communities today, why is it that Christians can be so offensive or um, uh, have a stance of being um, um, abdicating how they are involved in community, um, how they actually uh, invest in in one another or those outside of the church, um, how they think about their own vocations, uh, decisions that they make. I just feel like a lot of uh, times discipleship, how we imitate Jesus becomes absent or, or, or become compartmentalized outside of those things. That's why I'm like, if we know, if we can clearly say what discipleship is, then I think that we can also clearly, clearly say that if we were discipled or not. So that's mm. why it's been really important to me. Yeah, you, you actually do um, ask those two questions. Do I, how do I know if I've been discipled? And do I know how to disciple someone else? Maybe we could start with, do you have a succinct definition or summary of what you're referring to when you say discipleship? Yeah, no, that's like great. Um, I'll borrow from, from um, Neil Cole because I think that he asks a really great question for every church and every church leader ought to be paying attention to it, right? He, he always uh, says that um, a church is always only as good as its disciples, so it doesn't matter of all the other aspects or success markers that we may have in the church, if we don't have disciples or a clarity and on who our disciples are, then we then our church isn't isn't good. 
you know, and so, um, you know, th- those kinds of questions kind of lead off of from, um, um, from, from Neil Cole's, you know, assessment of the church today. Um, I think that if we kind of boil down what does discipleship actually mean, uh, everyone will agree with me. Discipleship means imitation of Jesus. That's it in a nutshell, right? Uh, but for me, okay, if you were to boil down, what do we mean when we say we want to equip or, or raise up or invest in people who are imitating Jesus? What does that actually mean? I think that we can boil down to two things. It's increasing, imitation of Jesus increases a person's spiritual confidence that's also tethered to social competence. It's not just knowing God, knowing about God, you know, all those kinds of things, but it's also imitating uh, Jesus so that we also get to live like God. You, you know, we, we, we don't, um, especially when, when discipleship becomes both of those things, then the church's obligation and church leadership's obligation is, is not just, you know, increasing people's knowledge base about God or historical facts or biblical truths, all those kinds of things. Can we actually tether these things to a way that affects people's behavior? that that uh, confronts uh, people's uh, uh, loves um, and hates, that um, uh, questions uh, who do we actually spend the most time with, right? And what do we actually uh, spend the most time doing, right? Uh, I think that discipleship, imitating Jesus, has to affect both of those things in our lives. Yeah, that's uh, there's a lot to chew on there. To run it back, spin it back a bit, uh, you mentioned spiritual confidence and social... Um, competence. Am I right to hear like love God, love others in that? Is that, are those synonymous? Yeah, I think that it is probably um, better defining you know, that the love God, love people. I, I work with so many churches, church leaders, coaching, consulting them. And, you know, when I'm just like, what do you feel like it's the mission of your church in your local space, right? You know, because that, that's a question that helps with how to uh, think about uh, how to implement discipleship intentionally in, in your church uh, community, right? Uh, and, you know, you can't go wrong with love God, love people, right? right? But right. I think that it has gotten so washed out over time and being so overused, but um, uh, underutilized, right? Yeah. Meaning that the terms are so overused, right? It's it's how Jesus defines Shema, right? How do you lo- love God and love others, right? Uh, all those kinds of things. But do we actually have uh, disciples, people who are intentionally imitating Jesus, uh, who are not just loving God, but also actively in real time, working out the messiness of, of also loving other people? And now, a word from a sponsor. All right, let's get back into our conversation. And the second thing that I want to touch on that you actually, I think, is one of the uh, unique things you have to offer in this book in terms of reframing discipleship for us is that this word imitate is really important for you. Um, Can you share a bit more about how imitation, uh, maybe contra-information, um, how imitation really captures the essence of what a discipleship and a disciple is for you? Yeah, I think the, I think, you know, um, I highlight the fact that, you know, once you get outside of the the four gospel accounts, the rest of the New Testament, anytime that word of following or uh, uh, being a disciple 
or imitating or learn being an apprentice or learning anything that 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 uh, accounts to the word or, or referencing dis- being a disciple actually has to do with imitating right Paul is very very clear that discipleship means imitating Jesus right and so uh, and a lot of how our own formation and praxis is accumulated is through imitation I like using uh, that word better than just learning or being mentored or apprenticing or doing accountability right I'm just listing off all the ways that we can use synonyms for the word discipleship in the church today. I like uh, imitation because it means that you don't just know about something, but you are doing the same thing. You're copycatting, right? And so if we're copycatting Jesus, we can't just copycat him in the words that we use or the teachings that we we give, right? We are copycatting him in the thing that we actually, the, the gospel accounts do mostly of, accounting how he lived, yeah. How he treated other people, what, what kinds of, of powers in society that he confronted, and who did he give care and comfort to, right? All those kinds of decision-making, navigating life, like those are also the pieces that we're, we're, we should be imitating Jesus in and not just his, his, his uh, teaching style. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm reminded of how Paul talks— um, how Paul talks to the Corinthians in, in 1 Corinthians 4 when he says, you, you have 10,000 teachers, 10,000 uh, preachers you listen to, but not many fathers, right? And I became your father so I could, and for him it was like mentor and model what it looks like to, to be with Jesus or to be, you know, to imitate Christ socially and spiritually. And I'm, I'm hearing resonances of this here with you. I I think this is where the subtitle of your book becomes important, right? Because if we're going to imitate Jesus, we have to have some modality or methodology or your word pathway, but whereby that that becomes, um, we can assess whether we've done that or not. So can you talk a bit about maybe how your, your pathway and process is different than maybe some of the dominant paradigms? Like I'm thinking like the educational paradigm, right? So you go through these classes, you take notes, maybe there's you know, uh, a test or something that we take at the end and then we get an A. And how is your pathway different than that? Yeah, um, I think that it probably, if we're going to uh, continue on the um, education analogy, right, there is a huge, um, you know, uh, one-on-one classes, classrooms, right? It's like a hundred, over a hundred students in one place, you know, everyone's seated, uh, uh, face forward, and there's one uh, instructor or someone of expertise uh, uh, giving that out, right? That probably has a lot to do with how, um, let's just say, a Sunday worship service seating arrangement is. Right, people are seated. Our hope is that it's over a hundred people in one setting and one time, uh, listening to one speaker or an expert on the topic, uh, uh, giving some instruction. Right, uh, versus if you kind of think about it from, um, I think the MBA programs when they were first uh, changing into like learning cohort models, they're probably the the first uh, educational settings that that started using cohort intentional cohort learning spaces where they're going to bring their uh, master's students uh, and put them into groups of 12 to 15 on purpose so that the learning is um, uh, 
a specific to them. It's small enough and closed enough that that a deeper set of learning is going to happen. Um, there's mutuality in the training and the learning. There's a lot of uh, t- uh, time to like go and practice these things out, uh, and and then bring it back for for a mutual you know uh, best practices and worst mistakes. Right. That kind of model of of a learning cohort. You actually see that modeled in how Jesus. Disciple the first disciples. You know, he capped it at 12 while there were at the end of the day, right? Um, when you look at, at Acts, right, there's 120 remaining, right, in that upstairs room uh, right before Pentecost, right? So we know that 120, about 120 followers, both men and women, uh, were there. But the specific people that, that Jesus uh, charged discipleship into were these 12 disciples, right? And so I think that there is a learning model and a way of human behavior that Jesus probably, because he knows, uh, uh, tapped into uh, that makes discipleship and learning in both um, knowledge-based learning, but also experiential-based learning, right? Formation by praxis happening. I think that that's what I'm suggesting and recommending uh, through my book, that a discipleship pathway is not a program. It's not um, a, a set of lessons. It ought not to just be content that can be delivered on a Sunday worship service main stage. Right. That it requires that interaction of a smaller pod of people. Uh, Twelve to fifteen is probably a magic number uh, because it's a it's a uh, socially behaviorally people learn the best in those kinds of settings and learn deeper the best. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that thinking and rethink about thinking about discipleship models and discipleship framework to uh, help people to actually be intentional about their own growing and learning in a pocket of community that's attached to a practice space. Uh, I think that is the best kind of framework for people to actually grow in discipleship. Yeah, there's a lot of provocative things in there. And you go into these social spaces in your book. There's graphs and charts. One of the Every chapter has the chapter is not meant to just be read, but it's meant to be worked through and discerned. So there's there's actual engagement and exercises that if you're in in leadership or a part of a discipleship uh, forming shaping for spiritual formation for your church, there's like work for you to do to build out what Yoon's describing here. But I wonder if you could maybe provoke our imagination a bit um, when you when you think about your local context there in the missional community that you lead, in the missional communities you lead, what is one or two social competencies that people have to learn through imitation in order to become more like Jesus? Man, Matt, you're like giving me, like you're just setting up a spike for me right now. (laughs) I love that question. Um, Yeah, I'll give two really practical um, ones. Um, I also I recommend that in order for any leader to implement discipleship, that uh, using like a discipleship pathway or a framework, that that um, a leader's mo- most important job in the beginning is actually to really think and and pray and include other voices into uh, a figuring out what are those core discipleship essentials that are unique to your local context. 
um, uh, that 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 help that you know if if people if every disciple in my church or community uh, participates uh, in this kind of learning and growing and formation, they will uh, uh, at the end know that there are marks of maturity in their own lives that they are actually being discipled, right? Imitating Jesus. If that's true, uh, then for us, um, one thing is we we just have one of our of our essentials is called thick community in Hawaii. We call it tick community because we. Drop the H, you know, and really, really darken that initial T. But what we're talking about is that if Jesus is banking his entire ministry on the fact that the whole outside world will look at how a community of imitators of Jesus love one another, and that is the, the, the main way by which the whole world will know who Jesus is. If that's what he's saying as one of the last things he, that he tells his, his, his closest friends, right, his disciples, then we need to understand imitation of Jesus also means how do we actually love one another in meaningful ways. So, so one of the, 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 the tools that we use under um, Fit Community is we actually really work on conflict resolution, it's important to, to us. We, 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 it's important to us that people know how to engage in, in short accounts and short turnaround times. We, we also really, really highlight the fact that like a lot of times the differences or, or the difficulties we feel are also based off of preferences. So really learning that, you know, there are different, different wirings of people in, in our church. And so every disciple in our church know, knows how to do up, go through a process of, I need to know how to have a tense field filled a conversation with this person and have some words around how to how to approach conflict well together and also every disciple uh, in our uh, local community are really well versed in naming uh, uh, we, we, we use different preferences and wirings through the fivefold APES. So an apostle's leaning, prophet, evangelist, uh, pastor, and, and teacher, right? Just you, get, having those kinds of tools helps us have better conversations around our, our offenses, maybe our, our mistakes, our, our misgivings, our dismissals, right? All those kinds of things. But every disciple even if they're terrible at it, has an awareness and has vocabulary and are being equipped to know how to do this because we know that conflict resolution also tells the world that we love one another and therefore are imitating uh, 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 Jesus, right? Yeah. Um, another... T- um, Core essential we have, uh, we have five. Uh, core discipleship essential we have is called Heart for the One. Um, one of the tools that we use in, in, in our discipleship pathway is called Five Alive. And so Heart for the One just means that can every disciple actually have a heart that isn't just uh, meant for ourselves or just the people that we consider family? Because in Hawaii, um, once you're a family, it's a tight-knit community, but people don't really love outsiders. So we knew a way to be counted Countercultural and being a Jesus imitator here in Hawaii meant that every disciple needs to grow a heart to know how to extend invitation to people outside of, of whom they would consider family, right? That's how they imitate Jesus. Mm-hmm. So one of the tools we use is Five Alive, meaning that every disciple uh, in, in Makelo'o um, has five people at the ready that they are intentionally praying for on a regular basis and asking Jesus that they would like come to a knowing, knowing faith of him. But also, Jesus, can you involve 
us? Can we partner with you uh, in, in having some moments with this person that we're praying for on a regular basis? We love using that because now there's a vocabulary set amongst our community where we're like, oh my gosh, my Five Alive came to, the, to, to this gathering. I've been praying for this person forever and, and I didn't realize that this was going to happen. Uh, for one of my Five Alive, I've been praying for this person for nine years. Mm-hmm. Nine years, and my entire community knows about this person. They've never met this person, but I've been praying for this person for nine years, and I get to share a story. After nine years of praying for, for, for one of my five alive, he finally asked if he could be baptized because he realized that I, I, I was a pastor. Immediate celebration, there's a culture of celebration that happens within, within the community, but there's also like a con- contending with and partnership get, that gets developed as we all imitate Jesus, right? We get yeah. to know, can you imagine how much heaven is celebrating over one person, right? When Jesus is sharing that with his disciples, we get to feel that and experience that with him. Yeah. We'll be right back. The Gravity Podcast is sponsored by the Gravity Formation Course, a 12-month cohort-based training in practical spiritual formation, where you'll learn to notice how God is already at work in your life so you can participate more fully in the life God shares with us. It's a discipleship process that goes beyond just gaining more knowledge and trying some new practices. In the Gravity Formation Course, we go below the surface of our lives so we can notice and name our deepest desires in God's presence and discern how God is at work in those desires to lead us toward holistic flourishing. More transformation, more life, more joy, more love. We've trained hundreds of people from all over the world in this formation framework, and it has helped many to have a sense of God at work in their lives and learn to be more at home in God's love. If you'd like to learn more, go to gravitycommons.com slash formation. Let's get back to the show. You mentioned that, um, that the word love has kind of been washed out, that it's vacuous. You know, we all believe it in and agree with it, but we don't really know how to quantify it or assess it. And then what I like about the social competences is that you actually, in, uh, in concrete embodied particular ways, are naming competencies, social competencies that communicate and carry love. Like this is how this is how we would know that we're growing, right? And you have other you have other metrics in the book. You talk about the fruit of the spirit and other things like that. But I think putting flesh on those things in particular ways is really helpful for me and hopefully for others. It'd be good for every community to look around and say, uh, like you did contextually, like what would be what would be a kingdom challenge to Honolulu culture that we could embody and not in a, not in a, uh, not in a strident hostile way, but in a, in a way that demonstrates the beauty of the kingdom, maybe over the insular nature that exists on an Island. And so I, I think that's a really great, uh, not only good example for us to, to maybe learn from, but also to provoke our own discernment in our own context. Like how, what would that look like? Yeah. Um, you talk about transformational change in this book, right? And I'd love for you, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that most of our listeners don't, aren't familiar with transformational change. And so would you just describe what it is briefly um, and then about how that relates to discipleship? Yeah, um, 
Yeah, transformation. It was part of the book that actually was a struggle because I think it was my own blindness that led to an entire oh, wow. section on thinking about why transformational change uh, was necessary for this book. I think mm-hmm. part of it was that, you know, like you're saying, if you're um, insular and isolated on an island culture, you, you, you know, um, I'm, I'm originally from Philadelphia, but, you know, we've been living uh, here for almost 15 years. It, I developed a much more narrowed scope of how the kingdom of God is working in just my own neck of the woods, right? And so I think that I realized that without a transformational change and, and assessing it and understanding it, it's really hard for leaders to feel convinced of this because I think transformational change also um, uh, tends to the things that we will lose, right? And the things that our community will actually feel a loss yeah. in. And I really wanted so that, you know, most most folks who would want to take a book and implement a new thing and a new discipleship pathway and do all of that, they're usually the kinds of leaders that will kind of leave all the, their people behind and really get, get um, easily annoyed or, or complain about the people that they have and they may not be the right people, right? And then therefore they just move on. Mm-hmm. And I remember feeling so challenged by Dietrich Bonhoeffer's word, right? That good leaders, good shepherds never complain about their people. And most of all, they never complain about their people to God. And I felt so convicted by it. So I knew that because thinking about discipleship and a discipleship pathway and a different kind of framework will feel really challenging, I really wanted leaders to also consider how did they implement a significant change in a really well thought through, paced out, compassionate way. Transformational change helps it so that it's not just a thinking about discipleship as reworking an already existing tool or, or, or curriculum or program uh, because of an entire framework or a, d- a different way of how do you increase and tether formation and praxis together. We, most of our churches don't have that. We think that we have it, and we're probably nailing it on the formation piece. But if we look at culture today, the people who are probably doing it the best are Christian community development people, right? And the, well, the piece yeah, that they're right. lacking is probably the formation piece, right? right and right. so I really believe that discipleship is that, that anchoring, tethering piece of how to get formation that the church does well and the praxis pieces that probably marketplace and uh, Christian community development people are doing better, right? In And how do you tether both together? You need both. You need both spiritual confidence and social competency, right? And so I think that that transformation change helps a leaders to be like, who has God given me right now? It's a gift of the people that God has given me right now. How do I lovingly engage with these people to get through a a significant change in how we're thinking about, about church, right? We are trying to introduce that discipleship doesn't just happen on a Sunday morning service through a sermon. That feels radical to people. What do you mean that I can't just show up on a Sunday uh, worship service and then I, I, I meet my needs of saying that I am following Jesus right now, right? Those kinds of things feel really, really hard to navigate. Um, 
sometimes doing a discipleship pathway where um, you're experimenting because it's new to your to an existing church, right? And you have a closed group of 12 to 15 people that are you are intentionally having them go through some sort of discipleship pathway that's unique to your local setting. Sometimes the rest of the community won't understand why it's closed, why it feels exclusive, right? Mm-hmm. Those kinds of, of social dynamics. Transformational change allows a leader to actually have to do the hard work of attending to what are the losses my people will feel as we navigate change? And how do I help these people transition to that change? Mm-hmm. Change isn't, uh, isn't hard because change is hard. Change is hard because it's, it's allowing and inviting people to uh, through that process of, of transition that's hard, right? Yeah. And for yep. any leader who's thinking about discipleship and implementing a new pathway, they're like, we, we can do this in 12-month turnaround time. Transformational change helps leaders to think through, how do I do my timing well? What are the things that I need to, to, to include in this invitation, right? How do I I'll talk about vision in a way that, that invites and includes people? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm thinking through too, there's change that we choose and there's change that chooses us. So there's, there's change that we volitionally agree to, and then we have to rally people or, or, or get people on board with. And then there's change that we have to adapt to and, and, and improvise because, you know, we have, we now can no longer meet in person. We have to wear masks and we can't see each other for 12 months. Right. So change, uh, there's different kinds of change as well. And that's why I think the adaptive kind of leadership posture and mindset that transformational change leads us into is really helpful uh, for pastors who are just wanting to deal with day-to-day issues in their church or are seeking about creating a new pathway to center discipleship in their church. Um, maybe by way of close, you know, you've been generous with your time and there's so much stuff we could talk about, but you have a section towards the end about like hurdles or impediments to discipleship. Discipleship is one of those things that if you've been a Christian for 20 minutes, you know you're supposed to agree with. Uh, but then so many of us, you know, have good intentions and aspirations, but the discipleship just doesn't happen. And this part of your book where you mention the hurdles, that things that keep us from realizing this vision can be so helpful so that we can actually have agency in them and do something about them. Would you name several hurdles for us that you've um, identified? Yeah, and this was the all of the hurdles actually came from um, uh, my my coaching and consulting other leaders, right? Mm-hmm. And they were like, it's just a basically a top ten list, right? Of <laughs> hey, what's this is the biggest most common problem yeah. that I have, yeah. especially when I'm trying to like I I have a discipleship pathway, I'm ready to like implement it, and yet. These are the hurdles. There are usually people hurdles. How do you do that invitation? How do you get people to like be on board with this, to participate, right? And how, what do you do when people just want to be spectators? It's really comfortable doing being that, yeah. right? And those yeah. kinds of things. So yeah, so um, the, top, the top two that, that I'll name is um, how do you do a discipleship pathway in, in the context of, of, of a church when people's um, capacity is so limited, right? Um, another another hurdle is when what do you do about children? How do we how do we implement a discipleship pathway in the life of our church when when um, uh, our, our children uh, uh, 
when people and adults can name it, right, it feels like they are um, intrusions, yes. right, inconveniences, right? And those are hard things for, for leaders and their congregants to have to name, right? And so um, uh, naming those hurdles helps us to, to know exactly, in my mind, how do you create and craft a vision that helps people to see a future version of your church today, right? If discipleship and centering discipleship means that you can see a future church, your future church that includes mature disciples imitating Jesus in both praxis and formation, then you have to think through that that capacity hurdle and the children hurdle, right? Uh, For the latter, my invitation is that does your church actually have a vision for how it includes children and multi-generational discipleship? And, and a community. It probably is leaning into the fact that your church probably doesn't, mm-hmm. right? That people really love, societally love to compartmentalize every age group, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We had to deal with that in our, in our own church setting, right? And now we, we have disciples who are 98 years old because we, do, we, do, we have a missional community with a low-income elderly population. But we also have children who are, who are being discipled at eight years of age and now younger because we've identified an entire missional community just based on a keiki or children in Hawaii, right? Yeah. Um, so that's a big hurdle that people do want um, a, a, an answer to. But my invitation is, do, does it work in you a vision that includes a multi-generational community of disciples? And how do you actually tailor and start a pivoting around how you can move towards that kind of future church and a future community? Yeah. Well, Yoon, uh, there's so much here to talk, chat about. We've just scraped the surface. I mean, as you know, you wrote the book. Um, but hopefully we're getting a, a good introduction to the kinds of things that are important in this project that you um, have worked so uh, diligently on. I know uh, being co-vocational myself that sometimes we don't have time to do anything but local church ministry and you're a physician in a, in a clinic, community clinic. But uh, are, are you active anywhere in the, uh, on the internet that people can access your writings, your thoughts? Yeah, sure. Um, uh, it's, I have a whole uh, website just, be, just set up for Centering Discipleship, so it's really easy. It's www.centeringdiscipleship.com, uh, nice. uh, so that's an easy play, a place to do it. Um, uh, you can also kind of follow different speaking or, or other podcasts or interviews or a lot of the, the learning uh, formation work that I do for uh, other networks and um, other communities. Uh, you can follow me on um, my IG handle is EK Strasser. Um, but yeah, those are probably the, the two fastest ways to know. That's great. I'm wondering if you, if they, uh, if InterVarsity Googled the web address before they picked the title for the book. I mean, that's really convenient, right? Uh, the book title again is Centering Discipleship, A Pathway for Multiplying Spectators into Mature Disciples. Yoon, thanks so much for spending time with us today. Thanks for having me, Matt. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. If you're finding it helpful or enjoyable, we'd love it if you'd tell your friends about it. Ratings and reviews online also help others find the podcast. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And you can join our Gravity community online for free at gravityleadership.com join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as our email most Fridays with curated links to articles we find interesting and helpful. 
To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. Our podcast is produced by Ben Sternke and Matt Tebby. Aaron Sternke edits and mixes the show. You can check out his work at aaronsternke.com. We'd love to hear from you. To record a question or comment for us, go to gravityleadership.com slash message and click the start recording button. You can also email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time.